Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello, America. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, I am delighted to have you. Glenn Youngkin, the governor of Virginia, has been making the rounds on television. There's a lot of speculation about Youngkin running for president. He was on Fox News yesterday. They asked him about it. Maria, I've, I've said over and over again how humbling uh, it is to even talk about my name in this context, but I am so focused on Virginia elections this year to make sure that we deliver. We've got a giant agenda, and therefore I'm campaigning across Virginia for our House and Senate delegates and senators. I'm not in Iowa, and I'm not in South Carolina and New Hampshire. We're focusing on Virginia. If you listen to Republican donors, they're unhappy with the state of the Republican field. Republican donors, you should know, the top donors, the big donors, they're always unhappy with the Republican field. There is an infatuation with the idea that Glenn Youngkin will run for president. You know, when Youngkin came to the gathering two weeks ago, He was a little bit apprehensive about coming because there were going to be so many presidential candidates there, and he didn't want to be perceived as one of the potential candidates. And he asked if he could bring Governor Kemp back on stage and so they could have a talk about uh, early voting. That was his focus and his passion. And we said, it's going to be a bad idea. They're going to think you're introducing a ticket. And, well, it made him more comfortable, so he did. And sure enough, you should have seen it. So in the afternoon, I was doing a series of candidate interviews, and much of the national press that was in the back of the room disappeared. They took a break. They went to grab something to eat. When Yunkin came on stage, oh, they were all back, zoomed in with their cameras. They were waiting for the announcement of the Yunkin kemp 2024 Republican ticket. They were waiting. They were expecting it. The rumors were swirling. It never came. He's not running. How do I know that Glenn Youngkin's not running for president? Because He's going to miss the deadline to get on the ballot in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada. And if you're not on the ballot in the first winner-take-all four states, you're not running for president. Glenn Youngkin wants to take back the Virginia Senate from the Democrats. The Democrats in Virginia went really far left in their primaries. In fact, a number of more moderate, uh, reasonable, liberal Democrats lost re-elections to hardcore, pro-transgender, anti-parent Democrat activists who believe parents should have no say in schools. Youngkin's got a 57, 59% approval rating in Virginia, uh, and he is intent on taking the Senate back uh, by appearing reasonable, pro-parent, pro-business, not not a super hardcore aggressive culture warrior to spook the abortion crowd. Doesn't want to do it. He he wants to win. He wants to win the Virginia Senate. He's not running for president. But therein lies the rub. A lot of Republican donors want Glenn Youngkin to run because they wanted uh, Ron DeSantis to run, and they aren't happy with his performance. They wanted Tim Scott to run. They're not happy with his performance. They wanted Nikki Haley to run. They're not happy with her performance. So now it's Glenn Youngkin. The, the, the reality is that if Glenn Youngkin got into the presidential race, let's say he did go to Iowa, start going to New Hampshire, start going to South Carolina, he did qualify to be on the ballots in those states. 
the moment he got in, the Republican donors would be upset with him too. Why? Because Glenn Youngkin is philosophically and culturally socially conservative. Those aren't the issues he campaigns on in Virginia. He's smart enough to know if he is a Republican in Virginia, given its dynamic, were to be a Ron DeSantis-style culture warrior, he would spook Democrats, mobilize them, and he would lose the Virginia Senate to the Democrats. So he didn't campaign on those issues, but he campaigned on parents' rights. He campaigned on keeping uh, wokes out of schools. He campaigned on many of the same things DeSantis campaigned on, the things that the big, rich Republican donors don't want to talk about because the big, rich Republican donors are inevitably socially liberal, fiscally conservative businessmen. They are pro-abortion. They are pro-alphabet gang. They they don't care about trans rights or, or trans exclusionary issues. They, they don't care at all. They couldn't care less if a boy is on a girl's sports team. It's not their issue. They care about taxes and deregulation and hedge funds. And so Yunkin's their guy until the moment he steps into an arena of Republican voters who want him to talk about those issues. He talks about them the way they want, and suddenly it'll be, ah, when's Brian Kemp getting in the race? Oh, we got to get Brian Kemp in the race. Can't we get that guy? What about Greg Abbott? Where is he? We got to find somebody. They don't understand. And there's this, if if I had a disagreement with my, my friend Jonah Goldberg, Jonah Goldberg has, has written about uh, you know the 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 small dollar donors they're they're in this for revenge that they're they're in this emotionally the the rich donors they they have a plan they're surrounded by people who can advise them I got to tell you I I've sat in the room with these rich donors I was in Las Vegas for a meeting of them back in March they are as emotional as the small dollar donors they are as clueless as the small dollar donors see here's the problem. You know why a lot of businessmen make terrible politicians? Not all of them, but a lot of them. It's because they get really, really wealthy in business, surrounded by a bunch of people who tell them how much they can do, how great they are, what they're capable of, and they begin to believe it. And then they decide, I'm so good and successful at business these idiots in politics, I'm smarter than them. I, I can get in and I can do better than them. And so they get in. Look at what's his name, Howard, what's his name, the, the um, Starbucks CEO got into the Democratic primary. He's one of the, the last in and the first out. He was tone deaf. So I have friends who are exceedingly wealthy, exceedingly wealthy. They're on the they're on the list of the, the what the top hundred richest Americans. A couple of these people I know. Almost will person. There are some exceptions. There are some exceptions. But almost to a person, they live a life that you and I will never even hope to live. I I really would love for the show to be successful. I joke about it all the time. Let me take priority jet everywhere I go so I don't get yelled at in the airport. These people. They don't have to rely on a uh, on a third party to put them on a private plane. They own the private plane. I know one guy. I was supposed to be in a meeting with him. This has been a couple of years ago. I was supposed to be in a meeting with this guy. I had to fly up north to be in a meeting with him, and he stood me up. He wasn't there. Met with his assistant. The meeting went well, but I met with his assistant. Why? Because he found out his favorite chef had opened a new restaurant in Hong Kong and decided he and his wife were going to go. So they got on the Gulf Stream and flew nonstop. 
to Hong Kong just to go eat at a restaurant. I, If I had a billion dollars, I wouldn't do that. He had multiple billions of dollars and could could stick me with his assistant for a meeting because he was going to fly his wife to Hong Kong to eat at his favorite chef's restaurant that had just opened. I, I, I Look, I know these people, and they're surrounded with people who give them advice in politics, many of whom are self-interested, many of whom are, are pulling strings, many of whom believe that they can shape a field. And so they, they look at a guy like Glenn Youngkin. They, they look at the other candidates. They hedge their bets. They, they bet on a horse. They don't think the horse is performing well. And so now they're going to bet on a different horse and try to get that horse into the race. And they're speculating, oh, Glenn Youngkin, Glenn Youngkin. The donors love Glenn Youngkin. The donors love Glenn Youngkin until the moment he gets into the race. The moment he gets in the race and he starts talking about issues the donors don't care about, the donors look for someone else. It's going to be a Brian Kemp. Maybe it'll be a Kim Reynolds. Um who knows, maybe they'll resurrect Paul Ryan and try to get him to run for president. Mitt Romney's available. He's bored in the Senate. They'll do something. They waste their money. They make emotional decisions. Their handlers make emotional decisions. Their handlers make self-involved decisions. If I back X, if I get my guy to back X, this is one of the things you need to know about the rich people. Almost every single one of the rich people has a money guy, a political guy, then the political guy handles uh, access to the donor. If you want to go to, if you want to get in attention of the donor, you got to make your case to the the money guy. The money guy gives you the access. You got to go through the middleman. The middleman wants to get hired in the next political administration. Leave the billionaire for a little while. Go into the administration. Build a great, impressive resume. Go out and make his own money. And so they're betting on who looks like a winner to me, and and the money guy makes that decision. I think Glenn Youngkin's the winner. I like Glenn Youngkin. Almost all of the money guys are pro-abortion moderates, too. Rarely do you find the billionaire has, like, a real right-winger at his side whispering in his ear. And so you have the more moderate billionaire with the more moderate money guy, and they look for a candidate who sounds moderate. And when that candidate suddenly is revealed to not be that moderate, then they turn on the guy. Glenn Youngkin, by the way, great governor of Virginia. He's a great governor. He has one term. When I when he sat on stage, I, I, I said, I've never met a governor of Virginia before. He was the first one. I said, does it kind of overwhelm you sometimes to think that you are in the same position Thomas Jefferson once was, you're literally like a governor of Virginia, just like Thomas Jefferson. You you can flow back in line to him. And he's like, never fails to put him in awe. Since he's in an office that was built by, or he's at the desk that James Madison used. And he says, the governor of Virginia can only serve a term. You, can, you serve four years and you're gone. You can come back to office later, but you can't serve consecutive terms. So Glenn Youngkin was saying he's got a clock in his office, and it counts down the seconds to the end of his four-year term. It's, it's not a daily clock. It's a term clock, and it counts down. So he's got four years to go big or go home, and that's what he's trying to do. But in doing that and pushing early voting, donors have interpreted it as he's wooing us, and so we're going to woo him, and we want him to get into the race. My advice to all of you, is to take the field you have and come to terms with it. 
You have Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. You have Mike Pence. You have Nikki Haley. You have Tim Scott. You have Vivek Ramaswamy. You have uh, Chris Christie. You have Asa Hutchinson. You have Doug Burgum. Um, Francis Suarez dropped out. Will Hurd doesn't even realize he's running for president anymore, but he technically is. You've got a field of people. You've got a former president of the United States, a former vice president of the United States, a former governor, U.N. ambassador, a former governor, U.S. prosecutor, a current governor, a current senator. You've got a field of good candidates to choose from. If you're a rich donor, now's the time to get in. If you want to shape the field in a particular direction, now's the time. You're not going to get other candidates in this race. The clock is running out. It's going to be hard. You can't get ballot access in in later states if you're off in Nevada, Iowa, uh, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. Stop this pipe dream, this fantasy of Glenn Youngkin getting in. Glenn Youngkin wants to save the Virginia Senate. You, if you want to save the Republican field, go invest in it now. Stop keeping your money on the sidelines. Stop coming up with these fantasies. Stop ceding them to the press, the whisper campaign of, I think he's going to get in. No, he's not. And you're wasting your money and your time. And you need to come to terms with, we have a great Republican field. You know, this Republican field, one point before I get out of here, one point. This Republican field has a descendant of slaves and two people whose families are immigrants from India. A really remarkably diverse field, far more diverse than the field put forward by the Democrats in 2020. And no one's giving the GOP credit for that level, that caliber of candidate with that level of diversity. It shows real progress in the United States the GOP's not giving credit for. You don't need a governor of Virginia to get in to have good candidates. You already got them. I am a small businessman. The company that I run for my radio show, it's a small business. I've got employees. I don't have HR. You may be in that situation, and you may really need HR. Well, you may want to talk to Bambi. When running a business, your employees can create all sorts of interesting situations, and they could get you in trouble. What happens when two employees are squabbling? One of them smells bad all the time. What do you do? How do you navigate the rules? With Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 a month. They're available by phone, email, real-time chat. Onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance. Your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. Let Bambi handle your employees for you. Their HR autopilot automates important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Listen, you want U.S.-based HR managers who give you experience, expertise, a personal touch you need to make it seem like they're a part of your team. They can cost eighty grand a year, but Bambi starts at $99 a month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Eric Erickson under podcast when you sign up. It'll help you. It'll help your company grow. It'll help you keep peace of mind. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. Bam. B-E-E.com. Bambi.com. Type in Eric Erickson. Hello. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phone. Susan, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm wondering what you think. Uh, I, I think that we're going to probably be stuck with Biden and Trump as the candidates unless God gives them each health problems <laughs> that prevent them from running. Hey, you never know. Look what happened to Fetterman. <laughs> but 
and what and if if by just by chance God that uh, Trump wins, I think he's it's going to be a wasted four years in that. I think this guy is stuck in 2020 till the day he dies, and that he will spend that four years of a president presidency taking revenge and just just recycling. I just think he's so stuck in that that even if he wins, it'll be a wasted presidency. What do you think? You know, I I think there will be definitely elements of a revenge tour. He's already said as much. He was saying the other day that he's just going to have to lock people up. I think that his own judicial appointments will stop him from doing that. But you got four years to do stuff. Um, And I do think he will repeal a lot of what uh, what Biden did. Uh, I do think that um, it, it depends on who surrounds him and whispers in his ear what sort of policies we get. You know, he's he's saying he wants to do expanded tariffs. If he does, that's going to provoke uh, more of a cost of living increase, and he'll need to be talked out of that. The, the tariffs he's proposing would actually be pretty destructive to the economy. Um, he needs to tell us, though, what we're going to get beyond the revenge tour. He needs to not run on the past. This is the the biggest advice. I've said it publicly, but I've also said it privately to people in his orbit that he's got to move beyond 2020. If you're just relitigating 2020, you're not giving people a reason to vote for you. He's got to, I mean, he, I don't believe he lost in 2020. I think that uh, voters got tired of him. You need to bring those people back into your coalition. So what do you offer people to come back to you uh, that you didn't in 2020? And relitigating 2020 isn't going to be helpful in that regard. So he needs to uh, figure out a message and provide a positive vision for the future to contrast with Joe Biden. And some of that can be revenge, but a lot of it needs to be a fresh take on what to do for the United States. Now, you want to freshen the air in your house. Uh, you can do that with the Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack. You get three of them for less than $200 at EdenPureDeals.com. EdenPureDeals.com. You can get three of them. Uh, all you do is go to EdenPureDeals.com and you put Eric in, E-R-I-C-K, and you'll see the discount for the three of them. What do they do? They eliminate bad odors. They're also an air purifier, so they get rid of dust and pollen and the like. But they eliminate bad odors, so they eliminate uh, dead animal odors from being in your wall. They eliminate litter box odors. They eliminate pet odors. They eliminate smoke odors. They eliminate uh, kitchen odors. We use them in our kitchen if I fry shrimp because we don't have an exhaust vent in the kitchen. And the Eden Pure Thunderstorm works better than essential oils and wiping those out. You can get three of them, one for upstairs, downstairs, your basement, your travel bag, your RV. You can hold it in your hand, uh, a little bigger than my hand. I can plug it into the wall. I can plug it in a car with a USB cord, and they really do work, and I really do travel with mine. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. If you go to EdenPureDeals.com, put in ERIC, you get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms, less than $200. You get free shipping. You're even saving $200. It's a great deal for a great product at EdenPureDeals.com. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Back in 2010, a movie came out called I'm Still Here. It was an art house project uh, by Casey Affleck, the brother of Ben Affleck, and it starred Joaquin Phoenix. It followed around Joaquin Phoenix. He announced he was retiring from acting and he was going to become a hip-hop star. And every time Joaquin Phoenix 
was in public, he genuinely appeared to be transitioning to becoming a hip-hop artist. Uh, you see him um, partying, you see him uh, smoking, uh, you see him engaging in, in all sorts of depravity, uh, you see him uh, learning rap music, you see him performing before audiences, he would show up and there was always a camera crew with him. And people took him seriously. Some people took him seriously. He'd appear on the late night shows talking about this, retiring from acting, why he wanted to proceed. Um, in his documentary, I mean, it, it had, and I'm looking, it had um, P. Diddy, Sean Combs. It had uh, Moss Def. It had Ben Stiller, Edward James Olmos, Jamie Foxx, Billy Crystal, Jack Nicholson, Danny DeVito, Bruce Willis, Robin Wright, Hugh Grant, Natalie Portman, Sean Penn. Um, Matt Marr, they, they were all themselves in this show. They were all themselves. And the premise was supposed to be real, and it wasn't really. It was all kind of a scam. It was all kind of a pretend thing. He was not really giving up acting. He was doing a spoof and, and, and laughing to some degree, laughing at the people who took him seriously. I kind of feel like that's what Vivek Ramaswamy's doing. I, I honest at this point, honestly, I, I would not be surprised to see Vivek Ramaswamy on MSNBC next year laughing at all the people who took his campaign seriously, mocking his supporters. Because, you know, the man proposed a, uh, what, a COVID database of people with COVID or the vaccine shot or, or, or some sort, and he he's made money off of that business. I, 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 I there's just, there's, there's something weird here. So, you know, so when he was on my show, one of the things that he did uh, when he was on my show, when he was on, on stage with me at the gathering is Vivek doubled down on his uh, Taiwan abandonment policy. So I, I honestly, I thought he had been mischaracterized because it, it, it sounds so foolish to me to say, hey, we'll get our chip production out and after 2028, China can have their way with them. But no, on stage, he was very adamant that we need to get our chip manufacturing capabilities out of Taiwan. He thinks it'll take until 2028. And after that, uh, you know, we're, we're, Taiwan's going to have to defend itself and, and we're going to tell China, just let us have our time to get the chips out and then you, you can take on Taiwan. And now he's like, I never said that. That's not my policy. My policies will go back to strategic ambiguity as to what we would actually do. But he said it on stage, and he didn't just say it on stage with me. He said it at the presidential debate. He said it to others, and now he's like, I never said such a thing. Here's what I said, and what he's saying now directly contradicts what he said just two weeks ago. It, it, it just strikes me as performance art, and that's not, not the same thing, not, or not the only thing. He, he also did this with Israel. With Israel, he also said um, that he— wants to stop our military entanglement with Israel. He wants to stop it. He wants to, he wants to, whatever you, you want to say, pull our military back.
And that just strikes me as a little bit off. And now after Nikki Haley has called him out on that, he's walking that back. A few years ago, Vivek Ramaswamy was on with, uh, what's his name, uh, Jim Cramer on CNBC. He was touting an Alzheimer's drug his pharmaceutical company was involved with. Summa cum laude graduate, congratulations. Thank you. Good to be back. Okay, um, tell me why Glaxo kind of wrote this drug off and yet you have such great hopes for it. So I obviously can't speak for other companies sure. other than, than, than Axivan, right. but what I can tell you is that RVT-101 is a unique drug that we actually think could help millions of patients with Alzheimer's disease. Our focus is actually on the, tra- on the treatment of Alzheimer's disease, dementia, and other forms of dementia. We've actually put together what I view as a top-notch team in the industry okay. involving the developer of the most widely used drug to treat Alzheimer's disease who actually led our due diligence on this asset okay. and actually will lead our development program going forward. And actually on our board of directors is the former head of neurosciences from GSK that actually led the development of this drug who sits on our board right now. And all of those individuals are every bit as excited as we are about well, the development Well, then walk the us through what we've seen so far because we know, as I said, there's a bunch of companies that have gone in phase two and we get so excited, yeah. but then uh, it doesn't work out in phase Absolutely. three. Why do you think you're ahead of those other companies that have never been able to bring that to market? That's a great question. Okay. And, and the thing in Alzheimer's disease to remember, and, and we remember this all the time at Axiomen, is we don't fully understand the way the actual underlying disease works. Not just us at Axiomen, right. but the field more generally. Right. But the thing with RVT-101 is it's actually a neurotransmitter targeted therapy that actually in part works through the release of acetylcholine, which is already known to be an effective mechanism of action because that's actually very similar to how the currently approved drugs work. 29 years old at the time. Former partner at QVT Financial LP, this is what's on the screen. President and CEO of Rovent Sciences, Inc., chairman of Tecmyra Pharmaceuticals, Inc. He's also the Axon CEO. Um, The drug that he was touting had failed uh, medical trials four times. He was able to buy it for pennies from GlaxoSmithKline. He rebranded the name. He took his company public in an IPO, uh, and then he sold $2 billion of stock before the drug was shown to have failed again. He proposed a COVID database of people with COVID to the National Institutes of Health. He wanted to track people with COVID, wanted to track the vaccine. He actually still has an interest in the company that did that. And and he comes out and he's very anti-COVID, COVID conspiracy, anti-COVID vaccine. And yet that's not what his business was just a year ago. A year ago, he was praising Mike Pence and saying Mike Pence did the right thing and what Donald Trump inspired an insurrection on January 6th. And now he says, I, I never said this. It's in his book. You can actually buy his audio book and it's in his own words and you can hear him say uh, those things. And now he says, like he did on stage the other day, I never said that's not my position. And now he's doing this word salad thing about Mike Pence that, well, I would have done uh, completely differently on January 6th than what Mike Pence did. But um, when he actually tries to explain it, it makes no sense. It's a word salad. He just throws a lot of words on stage and none of those words actually make any sense. And then he throws out these wild foreign policy ideas and, and claims that his uh, foreign policy ex- lack of foreign policy experience is a badge of honor. Ramaswamy was asked last night to respond to Nikki Haley's attacks against him regarding his foreign policy ideas. Take a listen. Nikki Haley has a lot of experience in foreign policy. She recently said that 
yours for making America less safe. How are you going to handle that if she brings it up on the debate stage? My general view is that if somebody breaks your car for 25 years, you don't hand over the key to the same person. And so I view my absence of so-called foreign policy experience as a badge of honor. But your lack of foreign policy experience, you, you've now wanted to defund our alliance with Israel. You wanted to, to hand Taiwan over to the Chinese. Uh, you've now come out and said that uh, Iran with nuclear weapons is no threat to us. Uh, you want to hand Russia what they've already taken in Ukraine. Uh, it just and, and then, of course, this video has surfaced from him on MSNBC uh, with Al Sharpton back in 2004 when he was 18. I want to ask you, uh, last week on the show we had Senator Kerry, and this week, and, and, and the week before, we had Senator Edwards. And my question for you is, of all the Democratic candidates out there, why should I vote for the one with the least political experience? That was his view then. Now listen, I, I don't think you can hold uh, now in 2023 a, a, an 18-year-old accountable for what they said on MSNBC in 2004, but his position's from three months ago are completely different from his positions now. His position from two weeks ago with me on stage about Taiwan is literally different from his view yesterday. I just, is this performance art? It's gotta, that's gotta be it. That, that's that's got to be what this is. It's It's gotta be like Joaquin Phoenix claiming he was gonna stop being an actor and become a hip hop artist. Uh, the cameras are rolling wherever we go. Maybe this is why Vivek does so many media attention. Media hits because the cameras are rolling. You get him on, on film, and he can do this this Netflix show. Uh, it, it'll be a documentary on his run for the presidency. Uh, he and Andrew Yang can can team up together, I guess. And he can laugh at the people who bought bought the act, like Joaquin Phoenix. Did. He, can, he can laugh at them for taking him seriously now when his positions today are literally diametrically opposed to positions he had weeks ago. And those positions are diametrically opposed to positions he had weeks before that. I mean, I've never seen someone run for president who every three weeks changes a position and then says, that's not true. That was never my position. You misunderstood my position. How dare you? And yet you roll the tape. You can hear him say it. He's like, that, those aren't my words. That might be Chad GPT. Or are we dealing with Chad GPT now? Was Chris Christie onto something. And then inevitably, like the stuff on, on Kramer, it's a lot of words. And the words, if you listen to the words, all oh, the words sound good. They tickle your ears, all of the words. But when you actually like read the signature, like, what the heck did this guy just actually say? Nothing. It, this is the wildest thing to me. He seems like a great guy. He seems like a nice guy. He seems like a very ambitious 30-something-year-old. He seemed like an ambitious 29-year-old when he was on CNBC. But this is just a lot of word salad. Um, it's And it's like changes daily. And I'm at this point, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm convinced at this point this is performance art. This isn't actually a presidential campaign. This is performance art. Now, maybe he'll catch lightning in a bottle and decide to actually give it a go. But I just – I've – I feel like we're watching someone doing a mockumentary that will ultimately wind up laughing at the people who gave him money and supported him. And he'll come out and say, oh, my gosh, can you believe this person gave me money for this position? And I changed the position two weeks later and they defended me. I it this it's 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 wild performance art. But then that is, to some degree as well, the nature of political campaigns in America today. So much of it is performance art. It, it, are, we're meant to be entertained. It's like Maximus. Are you not entertained? It, it's 
So many people want to be entertained. They don't actually want to save the country. They just want to be entertained while the country is going down in flames. And and here comes a deeply entertaining, charismatic candidate who throws uh, lots of multi-syllable words at people to dazzle them. And there's just no foundation behind it all. And people have eaten it up. I'm. I it just. It kind of blows my mind. We've gotten to this point. God bless him for what he's doing. But I will not be surprised if next year he's on TV laughing about all the people who lined up behind him and it was all performance art and he never really took it seriously and was surprised so many people took him seriously. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Let's go back to the phones. Bob, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Good afternoon, Eric. I appreciate you taking my call. I was listening to the lady talk about revenge, Trump taking revenge if he was reelected. I, I think his stated goal is he wants to reimplement all the policies he had that he that he knows works for the American public. But I think he also now realizes about the the uh, resistance within the government agencies that he's encountered and the deep state and that he's going to try to take action in those agencies to normalize them again to what the American public expects of them. I don't necessarily consider that to be revenge. Well, you know, I do have this sense that a number of things that he wanted to do last time, he listened to people in government uh, and wound up not doing those things. And this time he'll be less prone to listen to, uh, you know, one of the reasons, for example, Ken Cuccinelli, who was his border czar, decided to back DeSantis this time is Cuccinelli had just too many stories to tell on stage at the gathering two weeks ago about times that uh, an idea was taken to Donald Trump to secure the border and fight the cartels, and Trump would get the opinions of people in government and then not do the things that um, Cuccinelli and them wanted to do to secure the border. He got deeply frustrated with it, and and that's why he's going with DeSantis this time. I guess there's a fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me aspect uh, to this if this time he now listens to other people and not to people in government. But he's going to have to make that case. It's not for me to make it for him. It's not for you to make it for him. It's, uh, it is the, the, the case of, uh, that, that he himself is going to need to make. And I assume he can do it, but this is just why I think, again, Focusing on 2020 is a problem. Now, the the other issue is his money. Uh, USA Today has a story today that he's down to about $6 million left in his super PAC account because of his legal bills. He's going to have to start tapping into his own resources pretty soon. He raised about $20 million for his campaign in August off the mugshot. I, you know, I, I, I said, and, and the Democrats didn't want to hear it. They wanted a mugshot of Donald Trump so bad. I told the Democrats, this is going to be a mistake for y'all. It's going to be a mistake. He's going to fundraise off of this, and he's going to make a killing. He did $20 million, and that'll help him, so that'll put him back up to $26 million cash on hand. But he's spending a whole lot of money on lawyers. Uh, he, his private plane and his lawyers, it's becoming extremely costly for him, and he's still got to make uh, – he's got to get out and about and make the case for the future. All of the candidates have to do that, though, not just him. Relitigating the past – now, I know there are people um, who are particularly supporting Donald Trump who say we have to deal with 2020 before we move forward. I actually disagree. Um, and I think most Americans disagree. They want to hear what you're going to do for him in the future. What are you going to do for him in the future? What's your vision look like? Um, 
What, what will your plans cost? Uh, how will it put the nation on right footing? Every single one of these candidates has to do it. And you know what that includes? That includes Joe Biden. I haven't really heard a lot from Joe Biden about what he wants to do for the future either. He wants to, to fight the MAGA Republicans. What, what, what does that mean? He's got his commerce secretary bending over backwards to placate the Chinese right now. What does it mean to to fight the MAGA uh, right, and, and, and what does that do for the country? How does it solve the problems of the country? How does it solve Bidenomics? He's embraced Bidenomics. He's got to own it right now. And a lot of Americans are being left behind. A lot of Americans uh, feel like the cost of living um, is, is still too much for them. They're making sacrifices. They're having to cut back. They don't feel like their children are going to have a, have a better future than they had. The first time in American history where a majority of parents believe that their kids will not have it better than they have it. And that's sad because it shouldn't be. That decline is a choice. And I and again, I, I think whether you feel like we've declined or are in decline, that we need to recognize that's a policy choice of the Democrats by and large. And what they're doing is they're just holding us back from unleashing the American potential and and just let us off the chain, let us run, let us be free. There's a message there for these Republican candidates to advance. There's a message there for them to show us what are you going to do to unleash the potential of America. Uh, Gas exploration, drilling, expansion of natural gas, uh, upending the energy markets, um, you name it. There's so much they can do instead of dwelling on the past or the grievances uh, that people have. I'm looking for optimism. Americans want optimism. It's why Tim Scott has resonated with people with his optimistic message. Not resonated enough, apparently, in the polling, though. DeSantis is getting a bounce after the debate. Nikki Haley getting a bounce. uh, Ramaswamy got a little bit of a bounce, but now the more people find out about him, the more I think people are like me that is it performance art. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I I guess I'll be back on the radio tomorrow, I hope. Good Lord today. Y'all, I, again, I apologize about that. That was unacceptable. But uh, I expect to talk to you guys tomorrow. I uh, hope those of you in Florida have been able to get dry and dig out and see y'all tomorrow.